First, a word from our sponsors. With monumental trips to space and futuristic visions of life on Mars, companies like NASA and SpaceX have recently captured much of the public's attention, igniting new hopes for the public to one day literally venture out of this world. All the while, the United Kingdom has been slowly building up a space empire on which the sun never sets, with new satellite programs, space stations, and commercial spaceflight companies. Technology firms like Air Company are also hatching plans to fuel entire cities once we begin to conquer new worlds. With its innovative CO2 conversion technology, Air Company offers a first glimpse at the space gas stations of the future and why they'll be crucial for humans living on Mars. As the race to space heats up, companies all over the globe are rolling up their sleeves and asserting their claim to a piece of the interstellar pie. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about how the UK is quietly disrupting the space industry, slowly building a powerful empire. Key moves show the United Kingdom may be pulling ahead in the space race. Our second story provides a first look at the interstellar gas stations of the future. As SpaceX CEO Elon Musk aims to colonize a city on Mars by 2050, air companies plan for refueling a new colony could play a crucial role for life beyond the galaxies. This is The Abstract. We'll look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, away from the limelight, a look at how the United Kingdom is slowly building up a new empire on which the sun never sets. Two high Wycombe scientists. They've designed a spaceship to take them 180,000 miles from home in one hop. High Wycombe to the moon. Here's the design for the spaceship in which they'll make test flights. And here's the landing base they'll build on the moon if they get there. Tomorrow, trips to the moon may be an everyday thing. Man's dreams have taken flight into tomorrow. Few people know that the UK is home to the oldest space advocacy group in the world, the British Interplanetary Society. As far back as 1947, British newsreels, like the one you just heard, showed society members sketching out plans for future space travel, ones that are eerily similar to what the U.S. space agency, NASA, would ultimately get done. While the first space race is often conceived of a battle between the United States and the Soviet Union, in reality, the United Kingdom made a flying start in the 20th century race to space, and then it crashed and burned. What happened to the UK's space industry ultimately proved a lesson for rival nation space programs. But while the US and Russia have notably pulled ahead, the UK is starting to reassert its claim to a piece of the interstellar pie. That's how Inverse's David Grossman puts it. He is here now to fully explain. Hey, David, welcome back. Hey, Tanya. Great to be back. So at one point, this British space program, the British Interplanetary Society, was a big player in the space race. So first, can you kind of tell us about the rise and maybe a little bit of the fall of this space program? What's the, what's its story? Sure. So it's important to clarify that the British Interplanetary Society was not a government organization. It was a, I guess, a space enthusiast group, scientists, but also, you know, science fiction authors and all sorts of people who were not officially with the British government, who were all very interested in space 
kind of predicted by early 20th century science fiction writers. And they had several ideas that they wanted to propose to the British government. In 1947, right after the war, they proposed an idea for a peaceful space program that would have used V-2 rockets from the Germans. Now, that's actually pretty feasible as, an, as a working plan, but the British government was not interested, so they, got, they passed on it. The group still exists today, actually, but it has a, a smaller role. Still in the enthusiast role, though. So in making its way back into the space race, one thing the UK seems to be doing is making sure it has an important role in NASA. What's been the significance of that relationship? Right. So to the extent that the UK has had an official space program, you know, in the 20th century, it was very closely aligned with NASA. Not a huge surprise given the close alliance between the two countries. And then the UK starts really trying to do something for itself in 2010 when it reorganizes its space program under the UK Space Agency. Through that, now, NASA is planning the Artemis program, and the UK wants to be a very important part of that. With, through something called the Lunar Gateway, Artemis is NASA's plan back to eventually have a permanent base on the moon, and that will be in the form of the Lunar Gateway. The Lunar Gateway is a, um, a space station, a very small space station that will orbit the moon. And it will be an outpost, NASA hopes, an international outpost, you know, the international partners. And the UKSA is putting over $20 million, that's 16 million pounds, investment into it. The UK is developing the Lunar Pathway, which is a communication system that will essentially allow communication between the Lunar Gateway and the Moon surface and the Lunar Gate and the Lunar Gateway and Earth. There's also Virgin Galactic and Virgin Orbit. They have very unique systems in place. How does the UK see itself getting in on that? That seems to be an important part of its plan as well. Right. The Virgin brand, which is owned by billionaire Richard Branson, even though it's old, it predates, I believe, both Blue Origin. It might not predate Blue Origin, but it certainly predates SpaceX. But it doesn't really garner the headlines that those two go for. It has much smaller goals in terms of space. Richard Branson just kind of wants to take people into space and show them a good time, and then, like, take them back. In the space tourism aspect of Virgin Galactic, essentially you just kind of fly into an area of space that most people, but not everyone, consider the actual space, but does have weightlessness. You just, Then you experience weight, weightlessness and go back to Earth. Then they also have Virgin Orbit, and that's really important to the UK space program, because right now... While Virgin is mainly an America-focused company, Virgin is going after NASA contracts, Virgin is going after Department of Defense contracts, just la, and, you know, and private companies in the U.S. that want satellites, Virgin wants all of that business. But they're also planning to build their own spaceport in the U.K., which essentially is just like a runway for an airplane, but they call it a spaceport. And they want to really try to bring some of that focus in Cornwall, I believe in 2021, and they're going to start building it. So they want to try to get go home a little bit. What does the startup space look like in the UK? In the US, as you know, it's, it can be very competitive, and it's an important part of the big space picture. What's it like in the UK? 
You're 100% correct. In the United States, the startup space for the space industry is huge right now. And it is a large driver of growth within the industry. A large part of that is NASA seeking out private contracts. Here is where there's a difference. Here's where the UK struggles a little bit right now, is that NASA, as a US government agency, has very, very strict roles in who it will give a job to. It's very bad headlines for any congressman that gives money to a program that does not go to American jobs. So NASA has very, very strict guidelines on making sure they hire American companies that employ Americans. This can this can lead to challenges. I saw Elon Musk speak in Washington, D.C., and he was asked questions afterwards, essentially from students being like, how come SpaceX won't hire me just because I'm not from the United States? And he said, well, it's not us. NASA has these very complex rules. Big companies and small companies are held to this very closely. And so that so that kind of leaves the UK. Well, NASA is, NASA is happy to partner with the UK Space Agency on a program and let the UK Space Agency invest money elsewhere. In terms of startups, they're really not going to be able to compete. It's smaller, but there, it is still, there, it, there are still interesting things happening. People are often surprised when they hear that there are space startups in the UK. But that that perception is slowly starting to change. Very good. Inverse will be covering it all as it all unfolds. You can get David's full story there as well. Thanks a lot, David. Tony, it's my pleasure. Now, a word from our sponsors. Technology firm Air Company has produced a series of concept images showing what a refuel station for Mars's rockets could look like. Could these be the gas stations of the future? Full reusability and orbital refilling, which is, is essentially that orbital refilling is actually a simplified version of what SpaceX does in docking with the space station. So it's actually harder to dock with the space station than it is to do orbital refilling. But in practicing docking with the space station, SpaceX has also learned how to rendezvous and dock in orbit in, in a complex environment. So this is one of the other critical pieces of the puzzle you needed to establish a base on the moon and Mars, a city, ultimately. That was SpaceX CEO Elon Musk back in September 2019 on the 11th anniversary of the first successful orbital launch of SpaceX's first rocket. At SpaceX's South Texas test site, Musk laid out his plan for interplanetary travel, stressing the importance of orbital refueling. It's the type of refueling crucial to Musk's master plan to build a settlement on Mars by 2050. Enter Air Company, a New York City-based technology firm. In late October 2020, it revealed plans to create the rocket fuel needed to get the job done. Through their own detailed concept images, the company provides us with a first glimpse of the space gas stations of the future. The firm tells Inverse it has a working prototype of a system that uses carbon dioxide, water, and solar energy to produce liquid oxygen and methane. These can then be used to power a rocket, much like the one SpaceX hopes will send the first humans to Mars. 
Here to explain how this could pave the way to a sustainable life on Mars City one day is Inverse's Mike Brown. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you? Good. So based on these concept images from Air Company, what might a gas station for Mars rockets look like in the future? Let's start there. It's very visually striking, and it, it's probably really something that you have to see to uh, wrap your head around. It's a very uh, sort of triangular sort of design to it. It almost looks like a uh, pyramid with uh, several different angles like coming together in this uh, sort of honeycomb shape when you look up close at the uh, exterior walls. It's very advanced. It's very futuristic and uh, it wouldn't look out of place, I imagine, in um, some sort of sci-fi film. I mean, if The Martian had been set a little bit further into the future when we uh, have fueling stations like these, maybe, uh, maybe we would have seen something like that in the film. So is this air company kind of letting us know where it sees itself within these big pictures goals, how it sees itself contributing to this colonization of the future? Yeah, I think the important thing to note about Air Company is that it's um, pushing very strongly on this carbon dioxide technology that it's developed, where it, it basically takes carbon dioxide and makes new products. So it's done this with vodka, and uh, now it's looking at rocket fuel. It's a clear sort of progression, because um, companies like SpaceX have talked about how you can uh, capture carbon dioxide and water and solar and use it to create uh, liquid oxygen and methane, which can be used to power a rocket. So with that in mind, it makes a lot of sense for a company like Air Company to sort of get involved in this um, in this space race. Exactly. It clearly has so much going on in this technology. And in reading your article, I managed to click on the company's website. And the first thing that I saw was that bottle of vodka, not exactly what I was expecting. And of course, in reading further, I see that it is this tech company that has a lot of science-based projects out there that involve carbon dioxide, vodka being just one of them. Its carbon dioxide conversion tech, however, is poised to take on this big role in a future refueling station on Mars. That's what we're talking about here. So now that we have this vision, this model for a possible gas station one day, what can we expect in terms of further development? Can we realistically see this as being a big part of colonization one day? It's a pretty grand role. We uh, um, heard from the co-founder, uh, Gregory Constantine, that uh, their goal is to use uh, CO2 conversion tech um, to help uh, groups like NASA and SpaceX um, to follow through on the, some of their grandest plans to uh, explore the solar system and create permanent human settlement. So, you know, for a company that went from uh, making a, uh, a vodka, which according to uh, hands-on previews actually tastes very nice, going from that to uh, fueling the rockets that uh, uh, explored the solar system, it's a, it's a pretty grand plan, but it does see itself as uh, playing a role in this. As always, Mike has more at Inverse.com. You can read more about Air Company and their carbon dioxide conversion tech there. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you very much. Head to Inverse.com to read more about the hidden players shaking up the race to outer space. You can find links in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. 
Got something to say? Email us at theabstract at inverse.com with any questions, suggestions, story ideas, and anything else on your mind. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening. <laughs>